What's new with ANISA and the European threat landscape? Hi, this is Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. I'm speaking today with Steve Purser. He's Head of Core Operations with the European Network and Information Security Agency, ANISA. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Tom. My pleasure. Steve, you were telling me you've got a new role since the beginning of the year. Why don't you explain your role with ANISA to us, please? Sure. Uh, when I say it's a new role, uh, to be quite honest, it's a continuation uh, more or less of what I've been doing since uh, I joined the agency in 2008. So broadly speaking, I am responsible for the operational activities of ANISA. Um, the only part I would say of the work program that is not in my area is what we call research, which is basically desk-based um, internet research, etc., which is done in our office in Heraklion. Um, but before I enter into too much, let me just explain who the European Network and Information Security is in a few words. Uh, we are what is known as a regulatory agency, which means that we are um, uh, quite autonomous. Uh, that having been said, of course, we work very closely with particularly the European Commission and other European bodies to make sure that we are well coordinated in our approach. We're a centre of expertise that supports the Commission and the EU member states in the whole area of information security, so it's quite a a vast subject area, and one of the things we have to do is to be able to focus strongly and to make sure that we are doing work where it has maximum value. And last but not least, um, as an agency, we facilitate the exchange of information between EU institutions, public sector and private sector, and we're quite unique in that fact that we have in our core uh, mandate this role of bridging the public and private sector, which is particularly important, I think, in information security. So my role consists in essentially three things. I help the uh, executive director in defining the, uh, the annual work program by bringing together stakeholders, capturing their requirements and getting them to converge on a, a, a work program which everyone agrees with. Secondly, it's my department which actually executes the, the, the biggest part of the work program so that implements it. And finally, I also have a role in uh, generally talking to stakeholders and making sure that the agency is satisfying their requirements and expectations. Well, Steve, that's a fine overview, and it's timely as well. I note that this week the European Parliament approved a regulation that's designed to help strengthen ANISA. I wonder if you yeah. might describe for us the details of that regulation and how it's going to help your agency enhance its role in cybersecurity. Sure, with pleasure. Let, let's start off with what the agency does not do, because this is actually um, a big point of confusion, particularly outside Europe. ANISA does not have any response role, so we are entirely in the area of preparation. And to capture what we do very succinctly, we work together with public sector and private sector to create what I would call a strong and effective community for dealing with information security. And the way we do that is we're, we're like a catalyst in a way. Our aim is to bring existing groups together to get them working on problems which are important in today's policy agenda. And once these groups are working together smoothly, then we drop out of the equation and we move on to something else. So because we're dealing with 27 member states, the challenge is to make sure that we don't reinvent the wheel and that we get the maximum potential out of all those uh, security engineers, managers, and, and all the other profiles that need to be involved, and that we make the most of our existing resources. Now, when you ask about the new mandate, so of course we have just had a new mandate, it's a very positive thing because the new mandate uh, gives ENISA a lot more scope 
for increasing its impact. It's, uh, it gives greater flexibility. It gives a lot more adaptability, I would say, and it gives us the capability to focus. Now, these are all rather high-level terms, of course, but one of the problems in describing the new mandate is, of course, it's a very detailed document, um, and a lot of it is in the fine print. If you compare the current mandate uh, against the one that is, is being agreed at the moment and which will certainly go through, the wording is much better. Uh, we have, for instance, some things which are simply more explicit. Let me give you an example of that. Within the new mandate, we specifically mention capability building, which is very important for uh, today's agenda of information security. And we explicitly mention things like uh, pan-European cybersecurity exercises, which is our equivalent of what you would call cyberstorm. The new mandate gives us a much more proactive role. Let me give you an example. Whereas in the old mandate, we simply had a role of tracking the development of standards in the area of network and information security. Now we have a role of facilitating the establishment and take-up standards. So it's an entirely different approach where ANISA is really part of the motor uh, to get standards going rather than simply taking a more passive role and looking at where the problems may be. And um, we also have a much broader role in terms of cooperation with other bodies. So we actually have an interface with the fight against cybercrime, which is also new. Now we have a lot of liaison with the new Euro Cybercrime Center, which is in The Hague. I, for instance, have been designated by the executive director to sit on their program board, and this is uh, one of the mechanisms we use to align our work and to make sure that the fight against cybercrime is, is very much aligned with what ANISA is doing in terms of increasing preparedness, making sure that uh, critical information infrastructure is protected correctly, etc. Add to that two other things. The new mandate brings a simplification of procedures which should help us run our operations a lot more efficiently, and it's foreseen that there will be a gradual increase of the agency's financial and human resources, uh, which I think is appropriate. I mean, the cybersecurity challenge is one of the most fundamental challenges we have today. Almost everything we do involves computing infrastructure. So this, this I think, is, is a good sign too. Well, Steve, you've done a good job talking about how ANISA supports the EU's cybersecurity strategy. Can you describe for us what some of the key components of that strategy are? Yes, I certainly can. If you take the cybersecurity strategy itself, basically it starts with a set of principles. Uh, nothing new here. Uh, the EU has always conducted its business on, on the basis of principles. Uh, more interesting to yourself, I think, is that uh, the strategy defines five strategic priorities. What are they? Well, uh, the first one is achieving cyber resilience. This is essentially making sure that we protect critical information infrastructure and, and important networking structures in general appropriately. The second objective is drastically reducing cyber crime. This is different, of course, because here we put the emphasis much more on the perpetrators and the, the, the idea that we need to catch the people that, that are attacking the systems in the first place. The third objective is to develop cyber defense policy and capabilities. The fourth objective is to develop industrial and technical resources. And the last objective of the strategy is to establish a coherent international cyberspace policy for the EU. Now, if you take those five um, points, which I think cover very well what we need to be doing in information security, they cover what I would call the open market aspects, they cover the uh, military and defense aspects, and they also cover the home affairs aspects. INITA has an explicit role in, in two of them, which is achieving cyber resilience and developing industrial and technological resources, 
Because as I explained to you earlier, we have a very strong background in this, so it's more or less a natural continuation of what we've been doing. We also have a secondary or indirect role in two others. So we are certainly indirectly involved in directly reducing cybercrime through our relationship with the um, Euro Cybercrime Center. And incidentally, there's a document which exists, which is called the Internal Security Strategy, which defines uh, even better, I think, what NISA is doing in this area. And we're also indirectly involved in the, uh, the international aspect of this thing, so establishing a coherent, coherent international cyberspace policy. Let me just uh, explain very briefly how we uh, distinguish ourselves from all the other institutions and bodies. Uh, a nice way to think about NISA's work is that the Commission is essentially legislative and policy producing body so you know they concentrate much more on the higher level strategic aspects and then this has a big input into this so where we uh, input into this process is that we make sure that that policy and strategy is based on solid operational experience that we don't invent policy that is incompatible with what the industry requires or is economically inefficient now and this is a bit at the other end of the scale we like to get our hands dirty we are we are very much into implementation scenarios, operations, and I think probably the best way to describe this is that we work very closely with industry and public sector to try and define uh, what are currently best practices or good ways of doing things and make sure that that information is quickly to other communities so that, again, uh, we don't have inefficiencies within the market and people are helping each other and learning from each other. Steve, we're more than a quarter of the way through 2013. What would you say have emerged as some of the most important cybersecurity threats in the EU this year? Okay, let me, if you permit, let me take a slightly more um, global view of that because I don't have the figures for this quarter in front of me, but let me mention several things. First of all, uh, please encourage your uh, your audience to go to our website. It's, it's totally free being a public institution and um, it contains a lot of what I think is very helpful material, ranging from high-level policy material right down to very technical material. An example of this would be the work we did with the Cloud Security Alliance, where we put together a, a quick uh, and efficient methodology for evaluating cloud providers against the number of security requirements. Now, why do I say that? Because one of the things you'll find on our web portal is a recent document from Q4 last year, which we call the Inissa Threat Landscape. This we will do on an annual basis, and the idea is not that we carry out the risk assessment because my team uh, is only uh, 30 people strong and the whole agency is only 60 people strong. We use the same mechanism that I I, uh, told you about at the beginning of this interview, that we work very strongly with the communities out there. And in this particular case, we look at all the global risk analysis and threat analysis that we can find, and we try to, if you like, extract what are the key threats for our stakeholder communities, which is mainly in the area of large industry or, or major network providers, etc. And we still that into a sort of top 10 threats and the top 10 ways of dealing with it. So let me tell you a bit about this. So we did this exercise. We had over 120 recent reports uh, from a variety of resources that we looked at. Target groups are essentially decision makers, security professionals, risk managers, and pretty much any other interested individuals in the security community. I won't bore you with the method. I will just cut to the chase and tell you um, essentially what the major findings were. In terms of the top threats for last year, we came up with a list which were, top of the list is drive-by exploits. 
this is essentially malicious code which exploits browser vulnerabilities. So the idea is, you know, if you go uh, unwittingly to a dangerous website, you can download this stuff without even knowing about it. So a lot of this going on. Worms and Trojans continue to be a very big source of, of worry. They are pretty much second on the list. Pretty much used for economic purposes these days, uh, for making money associated with botnets, etc. Uh, a lot of code injection, a lot of exploit kits. Botnets are still up there. Uh, you excuse me if I'm using technical terms here. Denial of service is still up there. This is blocking the, the service of servers so that users cannot use it. And we've seen recent evidence of this, for instance, in the banking sector over the last few days within Europe. I think this will continue to be a trend. Phishing, I'm sure you know about this. This is social engineering techniques for gathering personal details, compromising confidential information, rogueware and scareware and scam. This is the list. And what I would say about it, if you allow me a comment, is there's nothing really particularly new in, in the keywords, but it's very important to look at the way these things are evolving within their own areas. One very good example of this would be when Stuxnet came out, there was nothing really surprising about Stuxnet in terms of technology evolution or what it could do. Okay, it was very capable, but we could have predicted that. What was really surprising about Stuxnet was its target. Because suddenly, instead of causing losses of money and economic uh, inefficiencies, we are now talking about potential loss of life. Stuxnet was attacking industrial control systems. And I think this is very indicative of the way we need to approach the threat environment um, it's good to collect data and it's good to analyze it, but we need to be constantly aware and ready to react to these sort of black swan events, which are events which really make a paradigm shift in the security landscape. You can't predict them, but you can make yourself ready for them by having a robust set of security uh, procedures and, and, I would say, security staff making sure that they are well aware and able to recognize signs of change. So final question for you. You talked about the drive-by exploits that organizations are, are facing. Certainly malware is causing fraud. And as you mentioned, there are, are European institutions that are now suffering DDoS. Given yeah. the threat landscape, what advice do you have for organizations as they navigate through this, this tricky and evolving landscape? As I, as I said before, I think it's very important to understand what this data gives us. It only has a limited predictive power, and this has been shown in the past. That there will always, I believe, be these big events which totally revolutionize the way we do things. This is not necessarily bad news. I, mean, I think it's important to follow what's happening in the threat landscape. I think it's important to keep the whole security process fine-tuned, and that, that requires constant monitoring of what's happening. But it also includes keeping a component in that process which allows you to react to the surprising event. Now, you may say that's a contradiction in terms. How can you react to something that you, that you don't know what it is, if you like? Well, I think you can do that by teaching people to recognize when things are going wrong or recognize when things are not normal and reacting appropriately. This, this is one of the key features that distinguishes a good security process because it's there where we learn big things from apparently small events. So this is the first piece of advice I would give. Now, when dealing with threat data, let me just read what we put in the threat report, because I think this is also good advice for everyone who deals with this on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, we think that people should collect and, and develop better evidence about attack vectors in general. The data is not as good as it should be, and the better the data is, the better we will understand what's going on. We should collect and develop better evidence about the impact achieved by the adversaries as well. So 
what really happened, what was the scope of the damage, how did it happen. We need to get more qualitative, quantitative is not possible, I think, information about the threat agents. Who are we dealing with? Uh, is it, you know, everyone recognizes, I think, that the old image of the hacker being in a, you know, smoking cigarettes in a, in a, in a loft somewhere and staying up to five in the morning. Well, th this is, uh, this is absolutely not true. It's much more organized crime. It's a very efficient network out there that we are fighting against and this needs to be recognized. But I think we need to understand this network even better. I think it would be good to encourage a common terminology within threat reports so that when we compare different threat reports, we know we're talking about the same things. And this is good advice for people reading them as well. Different terminologies can hide common sources of problems. So when reading threat reports, you really need to be careful in how you interpret some of the jargon. We need to include the user perspective. Um, we should, I think, develop use cases for threat landscapes. And in general, we need to perform a shift in security controls to accommodate emerging threat trends. So in other words, we need to be looking continually ahead to the way new technologies and new business models are affecting our processes, and we need to be, I think, much more proactive in um, trying to get the controls into our environment way before these, these things become everyday practice. Now, it's easy for me to sit down there and say that, of course, that I was the Chief Information Security Officer for many years, so uh, I do recognize the magnitude of the task. But the bottom line is we have to do it. Steve, I really appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I enjoyed our, our talk. The topic has been the European threat landscape. I've been talking with Steve Purser. He's head of core operations with the European Network and Information Security Agency. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.